So for approximately a 2,000 square foot house, if they take the entire house down, you're going to end up with about minimal 20 tons of materials that go into a landfill. You're listening to the Good Dirt Podcast. This is a place where we dig into the nitty gritty of sustainable living through food, fashion, and lifestyle. And we are your hosts, Emma and Mary Kingsley, the mother-daughter founder team of Lady Farmer. We're sowing seeds of slow living through our community platform, events, and online marketplace. We started this podcast as a means to share the wealth of information and quality conversations that we're having in our world as we dream up and deliver ways for each of us to live into the new paradigm, one that is regenerative, balanced, and whole. We want to put the microphone in front of the voices that need to be heard the most right now. The farmers, the dreamers, the designers, and the doers. So come cultivate a better world with us. We're so glad you're here. Now, let's dig in. Good morning, Mom. Good morning. You know what one of my favorite core memories from early Lady Farmer days is? When we first held our first Lady Farmer retreat, which we do hope to do again one day, by the way, everyone yes. listening. This was pre-COVID. I think this was the year 2018. We were touring places, trying to find somewhere relatively nearby that fit the vibe that was relatively eco-conscious. And we came upon the actual perfect location, Zigbone Farm Retreat, where we ended up holding the retreat for two years in Sibyllisville, Maryland. And I don't remember how exactly we found it, but I do remember touring the property with the founder and builder and designer of the home. She still owns it with her wife and family. And do you remember this, mom? We were just so enchanted by the inside of it. Yes. It was so artistic. It was straw bale insulation with the plaster on the inside is, was one main thing that really struck us. It was a refurbished old farmhouse. But, and this sounds silly, but the other thing that I was like, wow, this is working really well. She had these sinks and the toilets and like the hardware in the house. They were all different colors and they looked vintagey, but it had just been refurbished, re constructed really. And it just looked so good. Yeah. And we were like, how did you do this? Where did this come from? And I think mm -hmm. we started by saying, oh, where'd you get that? Where'd you get that? Yeah. And she's very, oh, it's all found materials or whatever. But she started saying, oh, second chance, second chance in Baltimore, second chance. And at that point, I hadn't heard of it. Had you ever heard of second chance? No, that was the first time. Yeah, I'd never heard of it. And we were like, what is this place? And so we actually went not long after. And it's a big like reuse warehouse from yeah. where it homes get emptied out, whether if you're redoing your home or if there is a death or the stuff has not been spoken for, people will empty all of their furniture and fixtures and hardware to this nonprofit organization and they organize it and resell it. And it was amazing. It's ginormous and there's such cool stuff. And it's not just houses, it's restaurants and stores. And there's also big signs and oh, churches. There's like huge stained glass windows and church pews and all kinds of really cool stuff. So that was like not that long ago. And 
just to think all of those years before I hadn't ever considered the concept of finding reuse house stuff. Yeah. And it really brings to mind when people are renovating, what happens to all of the stuff that you take out? A lot of it can be reused. A lot of it is still in really good shape. And case in point, we've been in a hotel all week. We're here on family business in Tennessee, and they are renovating this hotel that we always stay in. And they're taking this stuff out, and we have our dog with us, so there's a lot of dog walking going on. And there's a place out back where they're putting the construction debris. And so you can see where, like this morning, I went up there and there was a, there's a perfectly good toilet sitting there. <laughs> Looks like shiny brand new. And then on the other side of the building, they're unloading the trucks with all the new stuff. So they're carrying these giant cartons of the consoles and the beds and the drawers and all this. And they're putting that stuff in. But at the same time, they're taking this stuff out. And I was thinking, wow. Um, wonder where this stuff is going. It could be used somewhere. So yeah, that really ties into today's episode, which we're going to be talking about. Yes. And I also want to point out that even if you're not in or near Baltimore to go to Second Chance, there is probably one of these in your closest major metropolitan area. There's one in DC called Community Forklift. There's probably another one I might not even know about. So I t encourage you, especially listening to this episode, you are going to be very inspired to look this up. And the other fun thing that I didn't mention is that the prices are really great. Yeah. It's like a thrift store for big stuff. You can really find amazing steals and treasures. All of these things that are so mass produced and there's already so much of it that exists. It's really fun to engage in the circular version of that. Yes. And I'll add that since we discovered Second Chance in Baltimore and Community Forklift, it's always my first go-to when I'm doing some sort of project. And we're always doing something on our old farmhouse. So now that is integrated into my plan for renovation to check those places out first and see if there's something we can use. And more often than not, you find something really, just really different, really unique, and to your point, there's not a thousand of them out there. There's one and you found it. So it's really a fun way to go about refreshing your environment. And it's a way to do it without breaking the bank. <laughs> Always a plus. Thank you so much for listening to the Good Dirt yeah. Podcast. We are just having so much fun. If you enjoy the show, if it means something to you, please leave a review. If you leave a review, you might hear it over these airwaves. You might make our hearts skip a beat. You might win $100 that day, unrelated. You might help someone find the Good Dirt podcast that hasn't found it yet, that really just needs to hear it and that it would change their life. We've heard from several people recently that just like certain episodes really struck a chord with them and started people on a path to really shift things. And that is just quite humbling, honestly, and means so much to us. So please leave a review. We need more of them. Yeah. The encouragement we get from comments and feedback is really helpful and just fills our hearts with joy when we hear that people are really enjoying it and getting something out of it. We talked to someone the other day 
who said she listens to it with her children and she'll stop the recording and explain things as they go. And I just thought that is just the greatest thing I've ever heard. So if we're helping the next generation, that's fantastic. And that makes us feel really good. Yes. So thank you for listening. Thank you for leaving a review. And today, along the lines of what we were just talking about, we're so excited to welcome Mariana Sparks. She is the founder of Property Pros, which is a property stewardship company in Southern California who does exactly what we have been talking about here. Mariana is an Army veteran. She holds an MBA in global management, and she worked in human resource management prior to launching Property Pros. She's also earned a Greenpoint Raider certification with Build It Green, which is a qualified IRS appraiser for non-cash charitable contributions and a certified real estate appraiser. Driven by a desire to facilitate positive change, Mariana is constantly expanding her knowledge of environmental initiatives, such as circularity and climate justice. She leverages this knowledge to implement strategies for greater impact. In this conversation, you will hear all about what Property Pros does. We'll talk about circularity in the building sector and how we can all be thinking about these things as we construct, reconstruct, and deconstruct our homes and our places of work and play. So we're so happy to have Mariana Sparks with us today from Property Pros to talk about circularity and sustainability in the construction industry. My name is Mariana Sparks, and I am one of the founders of Property Pros. I work with my husband, and we run this business. We've been doing it for 22 plus years, and it has been, it's been a ride. The reuse industry 20 years ago was quite small, not a lot of people. I don't even think the word circularity was a thing, and many, the nonprofits were the ones trying to get the word out regarding the fact that they would take in building materials because everybody thinks about Goodwill and the Red Cross and different places that take in clothing, but building materials was a new thing. And as a fly on the wall watching the industry grow, it's really taking off now. It's taken, it was a real slow start and it's super exciting to see in the last five years how much it's growing. And a lot of people still don't know about it, which is why I'm on this podcast because I want more homeowners, more people that are doing remodels to learn about it. The industry typically is driven by the nonprofits or the deconstruction contractors or the contractors. And so the people that are actually making the decisions don't know anything about it. And so it's just wanted to get on here and explain a little bit about what we do and how people can can do their remodels while keeping their materials out of the landfill, redistributing within their community. So just really quickly, Pros is a home reuse construction company. Can you say what exactly Property Pros does? We are an appraisal company, so we appraise architectural reuse material. The way that most people do their diversion of reusable building materials, if they're going to, they're going to donate it. 
can sell it, which is another great way to do it, but it's a lot of work for somebody to take that on, especially when you're looking at a whole house and you've got lumber and you've got all the plumbing, lighting, all the components. There's not really any for-profit companies that are going to come in and take all of the materials and redistribute them. You've got some for-profit companies that'll come in and take brick or lumber, but then you're left with the rest of it. So at this point in time, the most efficient way to redistribute your materials is to donate the material. And that's considered a non-cash charitable contribution. So it follows all of the IRS guidelines as though you're donating a piece of art. This is a collection of building materials that are being appraised. So it's a step in the process that's required by the IRS if you want to take a donation, if you want to take a tax deduction. So what we do is we do the appraisal. We're constantly educating people. Most people only do this one. If you buy a house and it, or for the lot and you want to tear it down, but you don't want to throw the materials in the landfill, people usually start Googling, what can I do? And it starts there. And we really help walk people through the process. I don't think people are generally aware of the huge amount of construction materials that take up the landfills. And I wondered if you might talk about that a little bit, just bring some clarity to the issue. So for approximately a 2,000 square foot house, if they take the entire house down, you're going to end up with about minimal 20 tons of materials that go into a landfill. Oh, wow. Yeah. And that happens all the time. So it's interesting to me because the USGBC, the U.S. Green Building Council, really focuses on building sustainable homes. And they've done so many wonderful things. One area that is that I would hope that they would pay more attention to is this part, because there's not a requirement to deconstruct. I would like that to be a requirement. They do encourage building on infill sites, which means a place that there already was a home, but they don't require deconstruction. I think people get one point if they deconstruct, but they're putting all those materials in the landfill just so they can build a green home. So I would love to see that change. That's so fascinating. In fact, I think this is even the first time I've heard the word deconstruction in reference to tear down or remodel. You don't, you really don't think about that part. What are you doing with what you're literally deconstructing? And I think based on what you're saying, and I want to ask you some more questions about people's options as far as what they do with that material. It sounds like you said donating is the easiest way currently. It makes most sense. But it seems like actually, even though it's the easiest, People aren't really generally even doing that. That's that's huge if they're going that far because it's generally they're either not thinking about it or, yeah, probably not thinking about it. So it's just going straight to landfill. So that's fascinating. I've been to home like we there's we have a few great home salvage warehouses in our in the city, and my mom and I love to go find fun furniture and things like that. But I even like shopping at those. I was like, oh yeah, I guess people donate these from their houses seems like once in a while, if there's a cool old house with stuff, they would donate it. But when you think about this on like a macro level of all houses everywhere that are ever remodeled or torn down, that's just like a massive, but we're talking about such a different thing now. It's fascinating. I'm like having this moment right now. I want to add something to that, Emma, what you said about the word deconstruction. 
that immediately using that language immediately reframes it because I think the term in the industry would be demolition. We're going to come out and we're going to demolish this and we're going to haul off the trash. And having been through a four to five year renovation project on this old farmhouse out here, and it's still ongoing, we do little bits at a time. I know from working with different contractors and builders, and we have a very good contractor. He's really great. But when you say, can this be salvaged? Because I I think that way. I already think in terms of circularity. Most of the time, the response will be something like, oh, this isn't, you can't use it. It's not good for anything. Look at all those nails. Look at that paint. And you go, oh, okay. But this is a great, informative and educating process to to just say, hey, wait a minute. We have also started with some consulting so that we can help people learn more about this. It's not in tandem. If we're doing an appraisal, then we do an appraisal. If a company hires us to do consulting, we do consulting. There's an independent third-party status thing that appraisers need to maintain, and we make sure that we follow all of those rules. So you don't consult and appraise on the same job. You can Mm -hmm. both as a company. And we just are so passionate about sharing the information that we've earned over the last 20 plus years. And we want to tell everybody how this process works, how easy it is. I think yeah, you brought up the point that your contractor is awesome and he's doing a fantastic job, but he doesn't see value in some mm-hmm. of the things that you're pointing out. And so I think it's super important to realize that you as an, a homeowner have to advocate for yourself in in this situation because you can always, most appraisers, so we do appraisals all over the country. A lot of them can be done over photographs. So you could contact us and say, hey, I've got these appliances, this stack of lumber, this whatever. And is it worth getting an appraisal? We would look at the photos. We'd provide you a proposal that tells you, this is the cost of the appraisal. This is what the approximate value range would be. And that's complimentary. So it doesn't hurt to at least check in with us and see if it makes sense for you to do it financially. Obviously, it makes sense for the environment, but it also has to work financially. So that's why we provide that information up front. Super easy process. We even have a link on our website that you can do request for consult and you can pop in some pictures and describe your project and we get back to you. Really easy. And so I would recommend to anybody that's doing a remodel to reach out to an appraiser and get a complimentary consult up front and then present it to your contractor and say, hey, this is what, yeah, this is how this can benefit me. And an appraiser will also let you know if the value of those materials are under 5,000, you don't even need to have an appraisal. You can donate them and you can claim the donation or the deduction without an appraisal. Wow, that's really helpful information. And also in that way too, then if you do that and you come prepared, you might also be educating your contractor and for whatever other jobs they go on. Oh, absolutely. They know that then. (laughs) That's cool. So you appraise and you help people like pass along their materials. Do you help people, is this maybe part of your consulting, figure out how to reuse material if they want to say use it on their site again or like a lot of cool things, like for instance, this old building, this barn being taken down, it would be like really cool if my parents wanted to reuse some of the wood on the new construction. So do you help with that? 
I would love to, but that's not part of what we do. That would okay. be super exciting. I'm, I love design. I'm super creative and I'm usually behind my computer, which is not, not ideal for me, but usually that's the designer, the contractor. Okay. Yeah. I think that it's important for people to choose a designer or contractor that's open to the idea of doing that. I think that to no fault of their own, they get in their groove, they have their system and construction or reuse of materials takes extra work. Yes. Con- yeah. A lot of time contractors suggest that the whole house is demo just because of timing. And then they don't really want to try to incorporate some of the other house into the new house because that just takes a lot of work. It's easier to go yeah. to a lumber yard that has reclaimed beams and order them for the right size and bring them in rather than taking the beams from the house, figuring out how to properly size them and put them in. And usually it's not structural. You have to have your lumber regraded if you want to use it for structural purposes. I'll give you a good example of all that. Years ago, I said we've been doing renovation on this place for a long time. And like six or seven years ago, we took down our old barn again. It was falling down and it had this beautiful red painted wood on the outside and I had them keep it and I wanted to use it on the inside for some some paneling and it was really hard to convince them that it could be used they said oh no it's got bugs in it it's really hard it's been around all these years we can't nail it and there was every excuse in the world not to use this this beautiful red and it was kind of faded it was just the most beautiful look but anyway I just insisted and they put it up and they were so pleased. Oh, this looks so yeah. good. Oh. You really have to advocate for yourself because it, yes. it really, like I said, no fault to their own, but they've got a system and they bid to get a job done a certain way. And so if you know of anything that you want to incorporate into your home, my suggestion at the onset before they give you a bid so that they can walk you through that. Yeah. And also they can always, I think when response, which is, in most cases, probably true. This is going to cost you more money to do this. And I think most people would just, at that point, they'd just go, oh, never mind. I got a budget. I got to meet my budget and all that. But they, and this is, I'm not, I'm not being critical. It's just, they're going to come from the standpoint that they know more than you do. And in most cases they do. But to your point, and the whole purpose of your company is This is not something that is really mainstream, or at least it hasn't been. Hopefully it's getting more mainstream because of you guys and other companies like you. That's why I'm here. I'm not, Yeah, like I said, I spend most of my time behind my computer. I'm not a big, my husband goes out most of the time and talks to contractors and he does most of the inspections. I'm the appraiser, but it's important for people to know. I'm not finding, I know that, we have a lot of questions, but one of the questions that you had was the biggest challenges of what we do. Yeah. And right now, one of the biggest challenges is that the the stakeholders in the industry are in charge of either telling homeowners about this, not telling homeowners about this. It, they're the ones with the knowledge and people that are doing the projects don't have the knowledge. And it's similar to, so I was back in 2005, 2007, when the real estate, I was doing real estate appraisals as well during that time, I was doing both. And back then the lenders would call the appraisers and say, I need to have a certain value or I'm going to give it to another appraiser. Oh, and that was, I never, 
I didn't work with people like that, but it was common. And appraisers that needed to put food on their table and were willing to fluff the values a little bit might do that. There's always somebody out there that will. They solved that pretty much with the real estate appraisal stuff. You have to order it through a third party. So there's no lender appraiser contact. But with the reusable building materials, if I, imagine if a deconstruction contractor is bidding on a job. Deconstruction costs more than demolition. They literally denail wood. It's, it takes a little bit more time and it costs more. That's why we provide, as an appraiser, we provide a value up front and say, here's what you can expect for your materials. And then I usually give a range and then the deconstruction contractor will send them a separate bid. They can look at that and see if it makes sense financially to move forward. A lot of times the appraisal value will co cover the cost of the de deconstru extra deconstruction and it's a win-win. But imagine if your appraised value was super high, <laughs> it, then it would be a no-brainer rather than just a win-win. Oh. You also have to be really careful that you're, you're doing some research and making sure that you have appraisers that are actually appraising for fair market value and not just increasing values to get up and have a more opportunity to receive the, the job. And but you guys do appraisals, so we do appraisals. Yeah, yeah, we do appraisals, and we lose a lot of appraisals to other appraisers that have higher value. That has well, been consistently happening. So just that's it is challenge. There's this thing called karma. So <laughs> <laughs> don't worry about it. <laughs> We've been doing it for a long yeah. time, and we're still here. But. I guess what I'm saying is that I wasn't actually trying to zero in on other appraisers. It's an industry-wide problem, just like sure. with the with real estate appraisal. If you've got deconstruction contractors that are going to get a job because they can refer a, an appraiser that has high value, the homeowner has no idea whether that they're getting a recommended appraiser. They are qualified by the IRS, like all of those things. The IRS doesn't have a list. It's just that you meet certain qualifications. You know, a homeowner that doesn't know about this process and doesn't know that it's a good idea to just ask some questions may not get a second opinion. Yeah. It's a free consultation. Why not ask another appraiser and see where that falls? If it's pretty consistent, then you work with the appraiser that you feel is a better fit for you. And But if you're like, this appraiser came in at 50000 and this one came in at 250000 which is happening, then there might be a problem. <laughs> Yeah, just have to watch out for that a little bit. This is all about empowering the consumer, which is what we talk about so yeah. often. Empowering the consumer with information. And for those of us that have a passion for this sustainability and circularity and all, of this is really good stuff to know. Why do you think the reuse industry is not mainstream? That's a very good question. Well, hard to consider. I would say 99% of the time I work with a homeowner, they've no idea that this was even a thing. So fortunately, their contractor or, their, or they reached out to a nonprofit and they say, I have these materials. I don't know what to do with them. Can I donate them to you? And yeah. then the nonprofit will say, you know what? Yes, and you've got such great materials. You're going to need an appraisal. And then they'll maybe refer a couple of appraisers and, that, and then the owner is starting from scratch, learning the process. It's just so fascinating to think about, like, what if you were literally charged for how much money you put into the landfill from your deconstruction yeah. site and you could get or like you maybe you could get either either credits. you were charged yeah either credits or you got money I don't something like that like some sort of I guess incentive is the word I'm looking for but 
It's so interesting. I wonder if, okay, there is there. There are some cities that are giving expedited permitting if you're going to deconstruct. There are some cities that are requiring deconstruction. Amazing. Yeah. And then there's some cities that are, what is it that they're doing? They are, oh, they have certain amounts that they just require for diversion. So they're upping their diversion rates and they're increasing their fees for landfills. So it's going to get to a point where it, it makes more sense you know, because demolition is going to end up costing quite a bit if you choose to go that way. So I think it's going to work itself out, but it's been a slow process. There is a, an organization called Build Reuse that I've worked with. And right now we're working together to put together some standard language so that the industry can grow up and have the same warning used throughout. A lot of people are putting in for grants and it's helpful to have the proper language used. So Build Reuse has been a great advocate for the industry and they're doing a lot of great things. And so that's awesome. Your question was why I think it hasn't been mainstream. I think that um, I think that it's getting there. I think that, yeah. but I want people to know about it. Yeah, well, that's awesome. When things start hitting the pocketbook, that's when things move into the mainstream. So if these municipalities are going to charge more for the landfill and or start like we get the energy credits now you can uh, on your taxes and so forth, things like that will really help. But I wanted to just I wanted to go back a little bit and hear a little bit about you. And you said you and your husband have been doing this for 20 years. And I don't think you already said this. If you did, forgive me. Like how you got there and what was some point for you to recognize this as an issue and want to do something about it? Yeah, it's funny because your your question was if there was an aha moment. Yeah. Not at all. It's funny with me. I wish there was an aha moment that I'm like, this is what I meant to do. But it's just something that's been a slow burn. I've, I grew up in a home where everything was reused. My, my mom was known for having just always having a beautiful home, always. She just knew where to place things, and but she didn't have anything new. She, I don't, I can remember probably two times that they came in with a big purchase. And I think one was a couch and one was a TV, but they, she would just change things around. Just, she just, they just didn't, they weren't big consumers. So mm-hmm. I kind of grew up that way. And then when I was in the military, I was stationed in Europe, I was stationed in Germany. And at the time, I don't know if they do it now, once a year, they would get taxed for all of their belongings. So there was this known day of the year or a couple days where everybody put the things they didn't want outside. And people that in the community that needed those things would come and just take them because everything was for free that day. That was all outside. And so that always struck me as well. Like, just what a wonderful way to help your community and then just redistribute the circularity, basically. Wait, I'm still stuck on getting taxed on your belongings. That is so crazy and cool and a little scary, but like mind-blowing. Okay, wow. Which country? Germany. In in Germany. I I secretly love that. That would never fly over here because no. it's anti-capitalist. It's, it's it's like it encourages people not to buy things. And that's like the exact opposite of what our society does. Yeah, and it's telling <laughs> you can't have stuff and it's personal. That pri- is staggering. I wonder property. if that's some kind of War II thing. That, wow, I love that. You're you just know, making my, you think about what 
You have. Look around you and go, "Hmm, my son lives in Germany. I'm going to ask him if he knows anything about that. (laughs) I can't imagine that they, no, it was, this was in like the, in early 90s. So it was a long time ago. I was very young when I went in the military. And then also I get, I got to travel a lot because of the job that I had on the weekends. I was free most of the time. And so I, and I was also on a base that was 3% female. So I just did everything on my own. <laughs> I would go to Switzerland and go camping or go to France on a weekend or whatever. And France and Switzerland and France also both had a huge impact because they reused everything. They had, would make quality stuff and they kept it forever. And just having that mentality has always stuck with me from when I was young. There's just something powerful about being able to to use existing materials in a way that still creates beauty. And how did the company come along? When did you guys start the company together? Or how did that happen? So it was a slow, it was rarely slow. I just, I was, my business was real estate appraisals and I started uh, doing a few of these deconstruction architectural, but we do furniture as well. We're doing more and more furniture. A lot of people buy, especially the high-end homes or vacation homes, they'll buy the home, love the home, but they, it comes with furniture and they don't want it. And like the ski areas and stuff like that, but they can donate those, the furniture and have it appraised. We say in the clothing industry or clothing situation globally is that there are already enough clothes created on the planet and existing for everyone to be very well clothed for probably a really long time. And so is do you think it's the same thing with construction materials and furniture that we can just stop producing these things? I know it's not going to happen, but just say hypothetically. They are, they're looking, there's some new innovations with like, uh, my husband's super excited about this denailing machine that's coming out. And mm. basically it's this big machine that you can put the lumber through it denails it and it actually, I think, grades the lumber so that it can mm-hmm. be used for drill purposes, which is great because I think it's a big process to get somebody out there to regrade lumber and it's expensive. So the, this machine actually is able to do all the things it says that would be great for the lumber side of things. I think that there's not necessarily enough materials, but there's a lot that we used for a lot of different purposes. I think the, the lumber is a big one that a lot of lumber goes into the landfill. A lot of, of our land is used to create sustainable lumber, but mm. that didn't have to happen yeah. widely. And there's a lot of homes that we do that people buy that, that the appliances are in perfectly good condition that you could use. There's a, plumbing fixtures. There's a lot of materials that can be used. A whole house could, a beautiful whole house could be built with reuse materials, no problem. It's just having an architect, a builder, the people that, the trades to be able to make that happen. And I don't know, I don't know how that works. I think that the only way that we're going to be able to get there is for the nonprofits or even for profit, however you want to do it, has one company or one nonprofit or one vendor for a nonprofit focuses on appliances. One focuses on lighting, one focuses on doors. One, so that if a builder or an architect wants to buy used material, they can do it like they are with a regular store. They can go to an appliance, re, a reuse appliance company and say, I need these high-end Viking ranges that are 60 inches and blah, blah, blah. And do you have something like that? And it's likely they can find it or they do or whatever. But Lighting, same thing. I think that 
if we're going to get there, it needs to be organized in a fashion that builders and architects are going to be able to purchase their materials for their clients in a way that makes sense. Let me tell you about what it's like to drift to sleep on a 100% natural wool pillow sourced from regenerative farms wrapped in a lovingly handmade organic cotton pillowcase. Oh wait, I can't. I think it's just something you're going to have to try for yourself. Holy Lamb Organics is proud to carry on a centuries-old tradition of making beautiful textile products by hand. Combining heritage methods with pristine natural and organic materials and sustainable business practices, they bring a dedication to healthy living and the environment. Everything Holy Lamb does reflects their devotion to the planet and its inhabitants. From their supply chain to their manufacturing processes to their facilities management, nothing happens without considering the environmental impact. Most importantly, they're also dedicated to fair labor practices, secure working conditions, diversity, and inclusion. From the farm to the mill to their partner manufacturers, everyone shares the same high ideals of a safe, respectful workplace and environmentally conscious methods. Making good products enables them to do good work. Every time we order something from Holy Lamb Organics, we're proud to support a small town made in America company. You can find Holy Lamb Organics in the Lady Farmer Marketplace. For additional marketplace discounts, you can join the Almanac, our member-supported community platform. Find Holy Lamb Organics products including pillows, sheets, natural wool comforters, and more in the bedding section of the Lady Farmer Marketplace at www.ladyfarmer.com. And you've mentioned working with nonprofits several times. Are these things like the Habitat for Humanity Restore and those types of places that we're talking about? There's several of them around here. And I think people are gradually becoming more aware of them. But it's, again, it's not something your builder is going to think of the first thing. He's not going to go, oh, let's go over to to the Restore place and see how much lumber we can get over there for your project. They're not going to do that. (laughs) It's really inefficient and like a... you might not find yeah. anything and it's not worth yeah. on their line sheet. It's not worth their time. I think it's really this whole conversation. We keep coming back to this, but it's really like the homeowner's responsibility mm-hmm. and prerogative also. Absolutely. And when I think on a small project that's yeah, that you might be like, I'm going to redo my room and I'm going to use all reduced materials. You might have the time to be able to play around, go go to salvage stores and all of that. But if you're working with a professional architect or designer, that's a different story. And so to have avenues for them to be able to source these materials is is something that needs to happen. That I think that this whole industry will change if we're able to do that. So who is your typical client? Obviously, an intentional, focused, informed consumer. Give us a little profile of who approaches you and says, I want to do this. At this point, a lot of the, most of the time that we are provided with an opportunity to speak with a homeowner, it usually goes through a contractor that knows about this process and finds value in it. We've got some fantastic contractors that every single project, they make sure that the homeowner has the knowledge that this is available. That's awesome. Um, So I, we provide them with the proposal. A lot of times we work directly through the contractor at the beginning so that they can present it to the owner in a way where they can walk them through the whole bid, their whole bid and say how this impacts that. So a lot of times it's a contractor. A lot of times it's a nonprofit that is receiving the materials when somebody 
contact them. It's not, it's becoming more frequent that we get direct donors or homeowners that contact us through our website with a request for consult. And every time we get one, we cheer because that's really where I think that the power lies is to have people understand that this is available and be able to advocate for themselves. Do you have a favorite project you've done or an experience or even a particular client that you really enjoy working with or a story you can tell us? Yes, it's the sad truth is I don't really get to see what they do afterwards. I don't really get to see where the materials go. But we have a story. We built a barn and a whole little tack area and reused materials for everything except for like nails or screws or whatever. But yeah, my husband and I built that and it was it was a labor of love and it, not every reuse project has to be rustic, but we love our little barn and pretty much everything that we buy used will always go to the secondary market to, to look for sustainable products. Now. But so when you talk about my, I guess my passion would be to be able to see where, not necessarily what people build after they deconstruct, but where those materials end up. And I would love to see project where materials are taken out of a home and put into another space in a beautiful way. But one thing that does excite me is some of the things that nonprofits are doing with, you've got a lot of nonprofits that take in reuse materials and a lot of them are turning into community nonprofits. They are training people to learn how to do deconstruction. So they're creating a workforce for deconstruction. There's community projects that are being done with some of the reuse materials, like community gardens and school gardens. And so I love to see, I know there's one in Atlanta that's doing a lot called Life Cycle Building Center. They're doing a lot. There's one in Portland. They are, they are really focused on community. And so for me, just to see these nonprofits take the concept like reuse and actually amplify that to help their community is really exciting to me. We like to ask everyone, what does slow living mean to you? I thought about that question and wrote it down, but it's not a long <laughs> That's okay. That's all right. I thought making every minute right, being present, and focusing on people, not things. Oh, that's a good one. People, not things. Absolutely. And for me, I'll add focusing on reusing materials, not new material. <laughs> that's what I'm focusing on right now. <laughs> In the context of this conversation. I know. Yeah. What does the good dirt mean to you? I think the good dirt means collective wisdom, simplicity, understanding, balance, and community. Oh, wonderful. <laughs> I love that so much. Is there anything else that we want to yeah. dive into or chat about or any other? Do you have any other stories for us or things that you want listeners to know? One thing that I would love for people to know, and I can't even ever talk about who it is, but there's a lot of celebrities that are all about reuse and they've deconstructed and donated a lot of great material. And I don't know why they don't want people to know that because they're doing such a good thing. People are obviously, they're very private about stuff that they do, but just want you to know. That's really good to know. I bet especially where you are in Southern California. That's funny. I just read this article on, and I'm going to try to find it and so we can link it, but I read this article in the Washingtonian lately. There's this auction house in Alexandria, which is right across the river, and in Virginia, actually. And they, for whatever reason, their clientele is, they acquired the estates of 
very important to Washington, D.C. people. And it's funny, things that hung on the wall that like don't really have a ton of value other than like it was on the wall at RBG's house or something that's valued at $400,000. And people buy these things. And so the whole article was about like how we value things and the value of just because it was owned by this person or hung on this person's wall that's like a different type of value. So it's just interesting how we think about value in this conversation of sustainability and deconstruction and reuse because like on one hand, we could think that old scrappy things are cheaper because they're free or whatever. But if we could think about that value differently and actually it's valued as much more because of all of these things that it represents and encompasses, that could really change the conversation, which is exciting. Definitely could. And lumber is a, bit, a great example. The lumber that come out, comes out of houses that are mid-century and before is better lumber than what we have today. Yeah. It, it's more dense. It's got better coloring. It's more beautiful. And it does, that is widely known. A lot of people buy reclaimed lumber to put in their new homes and stuff. So there's a market there. But I think on the other hand, there's a lot of people that don't realize they've got a home that was built in 1950 and they, it's not got a lot of high-end finishes. So they don't think there's a lot of value there. So they don't consider deconstruction, yeah. but that lumber could have a, quite a bit of value. Wow. So it's worth, look, worth looking into. Uh, you mentioned one statistic about the 2,000-square-foot house averages 20 tons of material. There's another statistic out there, and I don't want to misquote it. Maybe you have it in your head. But it's something like construction debris compromises like 40% in a landfill, or is it another number? Yeah, you know, that's the thing that when they talk about construction debris, they're uh-huh. actually talking about the uh, like when you're actually building a home. So even if you go on a virgin land and you're building a home, the lumber and all the pieces of that's cut off, all the different stuff, that is a big problem as well. But imagine if you're just getting little pieces of stuff that fill up that much of the landfill. On the flip side, if you look at a whole house. So I know that the USGBC does require on new construction certain containers so that the debris can be separated and the things that can be recycled can go to the recycle center. So when you're doing, I think also Greenpoint rated or a lead house, there are certain requirements so that debris can be either, most of that's recycled because it's little pieces and stuff. But, But yeah, that construction debris usually is talking about new construction. And there is also a lot of waste in that. So there's different kinds yeah. of thinking with there's nonprofits that focus on how we can better design homes. And there's some, there's a thing called design for disassembly. So you're designing the home so that it can be disassembled easily. And these materials can be repurposed or redesigned in, a, in another way. There's So deconstruction is what we're with right now because that's how the houses are built. But imagine if the houses are built to be taken apart, disassembled and reused is the next step. That's amazing. And I remembered another question I wanted to ask you. What about these like abandoned shopping centers with all the parking lots and the asphalt and when they decide to do something else? Is there anything to be done with all that stuff? Like concrete, it's kind of a, isn't it a finite 
resource now. What they're doing with concrete in most cases, it, it is diverted and it's a lot of times ground up and used as road base. So for cities that require a certain amount of version, if they're doing it by weight and not volume, then a lot of materials can still get thrown in the landfill. Imagine yeah. the weight of concrete. So if you're yeah. saying a certain percentage of your house has to be diverted, then you say, okay, I'm going to divert my concrete. <laughs> and that takes care of the whole thing. Yeah. Inversion needs, and then you can dump the rest in the landfill. Oh, yeah. Oh, my gosh. Concrete's an easy one. (laughs) Design for disassembly. I love that. There is one commercial door guy that he just goes in when he knows that a a building's going to be changed for total improvements or whatever. He has contacts with the contractors. He can go in, he takes the doors. And that's all he does is the doors. He does doors and hardware. And so he has so many of them, just exactly like what I was saying with the different vendors, the person who's doing this and they. So when a company is doing a new tenant improvement, they can contact him and say, what doors do you have? Do you have 50 of the same door with the same handles? And he has large quantities of the same kind of doors that he can provide to architects and builders that are doing new tunnel improvements. So it's pretty cool to see. Yeah, that's amazing. People could find all sorts. There could be all kinds of niches in this, like hardware, you know, and shutters. I'm just looking around at all the things that I've had to buy in the last five years for my house. And they go to Home Depot or whatever (laughs) and get all of it. And go, I need shutters today. Yeah. So it would be so great if we, on the flip side, we're able to mm-hmm. make it accessible for people to be able to buy just like they would a new product on the reuse marketplace. But also, yes. And I think there's a way to do it because we send people to the moon or whatever, so we can do that. But also there's this sense of, yeah, like we can also do it slower, back to the slow living thing and slow building. And if we don't need to get the shutters today, if we were to go about these projects and these processes in a way that meant we c- could have the flexibility to wait for the right shutters to come into our purview, <laughs> that would make it different too. But that's just not how it works. You're, we're on tight timelines and these contractors and construction mm-hmm. workers, the way that yeah. they need to make a living is to do be as efficient as possible. And so it's interesting. It's just without cutting anyone out of the system, how can we create more space and more slowness within the system? I don't know. That's a super interesting thought. Yeah, I can say that we've done it personally. And I see these materials all the time, but is to when I need something, it's not necessarily available. Like I'll appraise a house that has awesome material. Love to have that, but I don't need that. So of course I don't purchase it from the nonprofit. But when I do need something, it's usually not what's available. <laughs> so right. even somebody that has their finger on what is available and I it's usually not what you need when you need it. And so that's why I really have am passionate about trying to figure out a way on the other side, on the redistribution of the materials to make it more efficient for people. Because I do say I think that I can buy better quality materials on the reuse marketplace for the same amount of money that I could buy something that will fall apart in a year. So that's, for me, really important. And I tried to do that with all of my purchases. But sometimes you can't because it's not there when you need it. So yeah, Uh, if you can have some flexibility, 
and wait for those shutters for a year until you find the right one. That's fantastic. But we could make it a lot easier for people. Yeah, there's got to be a way. Maybe the something like a Costco warehouse <laughs> where you know there's an entire set of shutters from this 1940s house or something. That, but yeah, that would of course be a whole thing for someone to to set up and it'd be another industry. I guess. housing these things. Keeping in mind the way that you do just that whole design for disassembly, keeping and keeping in mind the way that you actually build your home is important too. Such a fascinating topic. Thank you so much. Now I want to for... go build something with reclaimed materials. <laughs> okay. The little, the house out back here that we've got to take down and we want to rebuild. So now I'm like, oh, it's going to be all you re- reused materials. I had already said it was going to be like a demonstration of sustainable materials. But I think reused materials is even a step beyond that. That's the ultimate sustainable. And not only yeah. is it just reused material, but if you're using material from your own site, yeah. yeah. Being there's no anything. You're just recreating something with what you already have. And there's very little impact. Thank yeah, you so, so much, Mariana. This is so yeah. lovely. Um, yes. We had a lovely chat and I can't wait to stay in touch. I really appreciate you guys. You guys have a fantastic day. Thank you. You too. And we'll be in touch. Okay. Sounds good. Thank you for tuning in, calling in, and spreading the good dirt. You can reach our listener voicemail at 443-459-1950. That's 443-459-1950. You can find this number in our show notes and in the link in our Instagram profile. This show is produced by Lady Farmer with original music composed and performed by John Kingsley. Our technical partner for this series is Citizen Racecar. Post-production by Alex Brower and Jose Miguel Baez. Coordinated by Gabriela Montequim. For more from Lady Farmer, follow us on Instagram at WeAreLadyFarmer. That's WeAreLadyFarmer. Or join us online at www.ladyfarmer.com. We'll see you next time on The Good Dirt.